Welcome to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast. I'm your host, Nick Yeager, and with me today are John. Hi, Bob. Rick. Hi, Bob. Scott. Hi, Bob. And we've got a new panelist today, a nepotism hire, Scott's brother, Tom. <laughs> Hi, Bob. So season four has finally premiered, and as usual, I'll start with my synopsis, and then we'll move on to the discussion. Episode one, Glasnost. So first, just a definition of the term glasnost. It was the policy instituted by Gorbachev to have a more open government. In the real world, it began in the 80s, but in our show, it's now 2003. And the episode opens with a montage of events leading up to 2003, most of which we've already covered last week by talking about the timeline clips on Apple TV. There are a couple new additions, though, the most amusing of which is that apparently there's a reality TV show in this universe called Moon Miners. And I would absolutely watch a spinoff that was like a faux reality show about miners on the moon. I could just see them being all like, I didn't come here to make friends and then <laughs> falling in love. So also of note in the montage, we see that Kelly and her Mars baby are at least a little bit famous. Ellen has legalized gay marriage and wed Pam. Lee Jung-il is back in North Korea. Dev Ayesa has started a new robotics company. And Al Gore has declared that the Cold War is over. But is it? And now we're in Happy Valley, and a NASA dude is in charge, and Ed is second in command, still working for Helios. He's supervising from a spaceship, and Kuz is on a spacewalk, working to get uh, pitons into an asteroid so they can haul it to Mars orbit for the purpose of mining it. But shockingly, shockingly, everything goes wrong. Because instead of pulling the asteroid, their brilliant plan is to push it. I don't know, that seemed dumb to me, but I'm not a rocket scientist. So uh, Kuz dies in a nice scene where Ed, through a window, has to look him in the eye as he lets him go. Also, a red shirt dies, and hilariously, even the press refuses to say his name, just announcing that <laughs> Grigory Kuznetsov and one other man have died. That wasn't cool. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like the show being like, red shirt, guys, get it? He even had red hair. <laughs> uh, Danny the Greater is attending Danny the Lesser's daughter's birthday party when she gets the news. And it's clear she's got some sadness or perhaps even regrets about what happened with Danny the Lesser. Although we don't get to learn exactly what that was. Danielle has left NASA, but is called in by new character, Eli, who's in charge of mission control. He seems like a good enough guy, but he's just a bureaucrat, and his background is in car manufacturing rather than anything space-related. So in the wake of Kuz's death, Eli wants Danielle to go back to Mars to run things, because they need someone who can maybe rein in Ed, who just does whatever he wants and answers to no one, keeping his hand tremor a secret and refusing to go back to Earth to be with his remaining family, even though he keeps promising to do so. Danielle is reluctant to take the job, but she finally does, along with new character Miles, who is an oil rig guy out of work. He applies to go to the moon and lies about having a college degree to get the job, but there's no room on the moon, so he accepts to go to Mars, in spite of his soon-to-be ex-wife's objections. 
Aleda is still at NASA, but she's got PTSD from the JSC bombing. And she abandons her post without permission and chooses not to ask for time off, instead ignoring calls from work. Speaking of being ignored, Margot is in Russia, living her worst life, nursing various ailments and carrying around a hot water bottle in her coat, which is relatable as I sit here with an electric blanket and a two-gun indoors. <laughs> but worst of all, Ross Cosmos wants nothing to do with Margot anymore, and she has nothing in her life beyond sitting on a park bench eating pastries. She's pretty despondent, but is eventually approached by a mystery woman and given the phone number. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> all right, on to the discussion. We'll start with the Dannys. The implication seems to be that Danny the Greater has left NASA in the wake of whatever happened with Danny the Lesser. In previous seasons, Danielle was fighting for the right to be part of the action, but now she's reluctant to be involved. So it seems she's being set up to have a hero's journey this season, as she at first refuses the call to adventure, but then finally agrees to it. So Scott, I know you like to speculate about storylines. So what do you think happened with Danny the Lesser? My first assumption, I, I haven't really theorized beyond this first thought that I had with the way that she was looking at the picture with the fact that Danny's not around. He's not even really uh, mentioned. No, no one mentions like his whereabouts during the birthday party. So my assumption is that during his exile, before the next ship reached Mars, he probably killed himself in the Korean capsule or maybe outside. Maybe he opened a suit. I don't know. Actually, I'll, let me ask a a reminder question from the panel we know that end of last season they buried the koreans pistol mm -hmm. do we know who specifically did that it was danny and one of the russians yeah okay da yeah, danny Daniel. and kuz buried the the pistol if danny found that unearthed the pistol and we we had speculated on a previous pod that he might find it and cause trouble for the the sojourner crew I wonder if he found it and used it on himself. And now Danny is feeling responsible because she was one of the two who buried the gun instead of keeping it or dismantling it or doing something else with it. I so, hadn't thought about that. I, cause I was thinking by Danny's reaction that at least she, I, I agree with you. I, I'm pretty sure Danny, the lesser is dead, but I, I was just thinking that maybe Danielle found him. I, yeah. So awesome. in the, in the little um, montage at the beginning, we see a photo of all the Happy Valley people going back to Earth. And Danny the Lesser is not in that photograph. So I think he's dead. And I think Danny the Greater is involved in his death in some capacity. One question I'm curious if anyone has thought about, do we think they told Earth what really happened? Indeed. I don't know. There could be like an agreement between the happy valley peeps to like keep a secret about exactly what went down like maybe the earth people think that danny the lesser died in the accident although i guess they would have been given the names of all the um survivors when like the accident that danny the lesser caused when it first happened but yeah maybe they told like the happy valley people maybe they told nasa that you know some other accident happened or something we shall see I got to say, it was a good catch with that photo. I I didn't see that during the montage. I I didn't clock a group photo of uh, those astronauts returning. So I, I didn't even see the photo at all. So to see it and to notice that he wasn't there, that very good catch. I think that's a big clue right there. 
Yeah, I, I rewatched certain parts of this episode many times to catch things. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if there's nothing else to be said about Danielle. I think maybe she retired to be with her family. We were talking about that before. You, you were speculating she'd bring her family up to Mars. Danny's not that much younger than than the rest of the gang from season one. So she may have just been like, I'm done. I've done my bit for King and Country and now I'm sipping jippers by the beach. <laughs> Could be, but I feel like there's something more to it. Just because re- it's a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's gotta, gotta have drama. Just some of the dialogue that Danny the Greater had in relation to the previous mission just made it, I, I don't know if it was any any real bad actions or you know, someone said that she was involved I don't know about that, but just guilt. So, I mean, maybe it was, you know, somewhat natural causes for the lesser's death. But, you know, I I totally think that, yes, he died. And she's just guilty because it's someone effectively under her command, you know, for the whole mission. I know he wasn't NASA at the time, but, you know, they they kind of imply that things kind of gelled together on the the Mars mission. Yeah, indeed. Whether or not something nefarious happened with Danny the Lesser, for sure Danny the Greater would feel some guilt just because, although Ed is the one who should feel guilty, he's the one who brought him up there. But anyway. She really fought against the Lesser being on the mission, even from the Helio side. So yeah. Something just occurred to me. Danny was pretty much hooked on opiates before they locked him in that capsule. I doubt they gave him any. Uh-huh. So he's going to, so... yeah, he's going through withdrawal there. And that might be what does him in. Yeah. Okay, so we'll move on to Ed. It seems he's reverted back to old Ed, having essentially abandoned Kelly and his grandson. In some ways, you can't blame him because he's lost so many loved ones. Shane, Gordo, Tracy, Molly, and Karen. So it's no wonder he's depressed and self-medicating with cannabis. But my question is, is Ed responsible for Kuz's and other man's death? I don't think we know yet. Because yes, he had the hand trimmer, but... It doesn't necessarily mean that the hand trimmer happens all the time. And what he was doing, like, there's there's no way to know at this point. I mean, there's got to be clearly an investigation. And the, the like, okay, well, you you he started doing this thing and it started getting worse. So that could entirely be based on his actions or not. I, I think they're setting it up to make us think that it is because, like, um, Eli was like, uh, yes, there were decisions made in the lead up that were a big part of the problem. Like, it's whichever way the show wants it to go. You may find this hard to believe, but I don't blame it in this instance. Like John said, we don't know what the what the chain of decisions were that chose that asteroid. That was a bad choice for an asteroid because it was not it was not a solid rock. It was a, it was a what they call a rubble pile asteroid, which when they first showed it, I thought, OK, we've seen pictures, the, the asteroid that they got the samples from that was all over the news for the last year and a half looks like a lot like that one. It's not a solid rock. It's a it's a, a loose conglomeration of basically gravel that have gathered together due to their gravity. And my first thought was, well, that's a stupid thing to try to use as their first attempt to move an asteroid. And I thought, well, maybe they're just taking a picture that everyone's familiar with. But then they clearly showed that their their pitons were not sticking in, were not holding. The the whole thing was flaking off as they were rubbing their hands on it. It was it was just a stupid choice for that maneuver. And then they had the stupidest EVA in the history of people going out into space. But again, Ed didn't make that call. You know, he's not going to tell 
Kuz what he can do. But yes, he can tell Kuz what to do. He could easily have told Kuz not to go out. Well, he, he tried to. And Kuz was like, fuck it, I'm going. <laughs> so as far as it being a, a, a mass of pebbles, I didn't think about that at all, but you're right. But also that makes it super easy to mine to get to the center of it, as opposed to one, one big solid mass where they're trying to get to. And Neek, I thought the same thing when I was like, they were, they were pushing it instead of pulling it. I'm like, that seems dumb. And so, of course, I'm trying to headcanon why they would do this. And my what I came up with was if they're pulling it and something goes wrong, it's then they have to get out of the way because it's got momentum and it's just going. Whereas opposed to if they're pushing it and something goes wrong, they just let it go and it continues or whatever. Fair. Now, and we can we can talk more about the, the accident and maybe how some of that could have been avoided. But uh, like watching it the second time, I was like, okay, they had had to disconnect from that, sure. And Gregory's suit was leaking oxygen, so they didn't have time to mount a full rescue. Okay. But they could have sent someone out there, disconnect the thing, send someone out. Because they got the little jetpacks with some oxygen and duct tape. Like, it was just a small tear. Like, enough to get him. He was down to 4%. His readout showed he only had 4% left. They couldn't have gotten to him in time. And and at the rate of his dropping, it was like barely minutes of oxygen. I wonder, like, Gregory hold your breath. (laughs) <laughs> How long can you hold your breath? <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. All they needed to do was disconnect from the from the rocket and then just stay in a parking orbit, and then they could have tried to get out there. But I don't think they had time to get. I I think you're right. I mean, you know, the show is the show. Like clearly, they're going to kill the guy. But I I like watching, and I didn't even think about this the first time I watched it. But watching it again, I was like, okay, I don't know. And if he had mentioned that he was running out of oxygen, I mean, whatever. It would have done nothing but build the drama because he still would have died in the exact same way. But I do feel like maybe they could have tried more. All right, let's pivot to Helios. I'm just curious, you know, why is Helios letting Ed stay up on Mars forever? Like he was meant to go back to Earth about a billion different times and he keeps choosing to stay on Mars. It's like he has a boss. Why hasn't Helios fired him or at least forced him to go back to Earth? Why would they? He's he's hero astronaut Ed, and he's not doing a bad job. It'd be different if like he was bad, but no, I mean he's he's not doing a bad job. Why would why would he? He wants to stay. He's good at it. He can stay. Well, he's not in charge up there. There's the that other guy was the was the boss of the base. Yeah, right. he was the boss of NASA of the NASA component of Happy Valley. But right. Helios is a separate company, and yeah, they all work together. But the the big wigs at Helios could tell Ed what to do. Mm. That, that didn't have a reason to but they, why would they pull him back so he could be with his family they don't give a shit <laughs> like no yeah, they don't care. He, from like, their point of view it's good. probably a good thing to have ed being up there because he's like a big hero and so him yeah. being you know the face of helios is good for them yeah and he he does have like more experience than anyone else and if he wants to stay up there he clearly uh, with the exception of kelly and his grandson he doesn't really have anything in his life left except Helios and Mars. So he's fine staying up there. And I assume that Helios is fine letting him do that because, you know, they don't have to spend more money trying to train up someone to replace him. Just let him stay there. And if he starts like making mistakes or getting a lot of people dead, then they would step in. But he's keeping the train running as far as what his job is. So might might as well just let him stay. And I get the feeling that the the, the way... Happy Valley is organized as far as operationally. 
yes, there's a NASA guy who's running the base, uh, and Ed does work for Helios, but he referred to himself several times as the XO, meaning that he's probably the the ranking senior member of Helios on Mars, but he still answers to uh, the NASA head of the base, the guy whose name I cannot remember. Peters, I think. Peters. So even though they work for different entities on that base, Peters is in charge of NASA, of Helios, of whoever is under his roof. So Ed does have a person that he is supposed to answer to on on Mars, and it sounds like they're not too happy with Peters' job performance over at NASA. Well, because someone died, so so someone yeah. has to take the fall. And and I assume that Peters probably doesn't uh, rule over Ed very strongly. Yeah, you're like, why would they pull up? Well, something went wrong, and then they did pull him. You know, so like he's he's fine. They're fine with him staying up there as long as everything's going according to plan. But there's, you know, this big watershed moment in human history, and it and it goes tits up. And so like, yeah, get him out of there. And it's not it's not like he's he doesn't have the option to stay now. So they're fine keeping him up keeping him up there as you know until they don't want him up there. You know, one thing about that organization at Happy Valley, when uh, female Danny, when uh, she was approached to take command of the base, you know, she commented that uh, the, it's the Russians' turn next. So there's, it's either a two or a three-way rotation of, of leadership over the whole base. I don't think they really clarified if it if Helios has a stake in it or if it's just between uh, NASA and the Soviet. So I really got the impression that Ed was, you know, directly under the command of the base commander. Yeah, but he yeah, clearly doesn't for... listen to the base commander. So he may be officially, you know, second in command, but he just does whatever he wants because Peters specifically said, don't let uh, anyone do a spacewalk. And he he forbid everyone. And Ed is just like, oh, yeah, okay. And Kuz is like, oh, I can't hear you. And Ed was right on board. Like they do not follow orders from NASA, even if they're officially meant to. That's actually well, he never point. did. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. That's a really good point. So Ed and, well, you know, Kuz is responsible for his own death. And Ed is also responsible because he went against orders. And therefore, Helios is responsible for the death as well. Regardless of what went wrong from a technical standpoint, there are people who are responsible and they're still up there. And because this is a show, Ed is going to keep being up there. And I'm just questioning whether or not that's correct that he should be up there. Hell, you all know my feeling on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Ed is, you know, Scott, you said, oh, he's got nothing back on Earth. He's got Kelly and a grandkid and he's neglecting them the same way he always neglected Shane. So, you know, last season we were all saying, oh, Ed has grown and he's so, he's a better father now and he, he's a better person. Well, he's he's back to being old Ed. And yes, he suffered a lot of tragedy. And Kelly now is, and the grandson are now the ones who have to suffer because of Ed refusing to acknowledge who's still left and who's left behind and who he's neglecting. Well, I'm still holding out hope that the, what we saw with the tremors and with Ed continuously putting this off is also he just physically can't go back to Earth. Uh, I was yeah. thinking about what you had said before. Yeah. I would love it if they made tremors. that a plot point. Yeah, that'd be super interesting. If, and of course, he doesn't tell anyone because he's dead. Yeah. 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 And he's he's been putting off his return to Earth for so long. I started to wonder, based on what Rick has said before, if he knows I, I want to go back, but I can't go back because I've spent too much time on this planet. I can't go back to the other one. 
but I don't want to admit that. So I'll just say, no, I, I can't. I, I'm sorry. I got to stay. I got to stay up here a little longer. I'll be back soon. Oh, sorry. I got to stay a little bit longer. He'll say that instead of telling them I can't come back because Earth will kill me. This um, Virginia could not make it onto the show tonight, but she did text some basically in line with what we're saying. I'm quoting from her text to me. Um, we rag on Ed for being old in space, but since space travel is becoming more common and ubiquitous, it is important to see how space travel affects people as they age. Whether or not they should be old and operating heavy space machinery capable of killing people is another issue. And this came to mind after she went to her doctor. And her doctor commented about how one of the challenges of uh, working with uh, LGBTQIA AIDS patients is that they're living longer now than they did in the 80s. And so like, they don't necessarily know how AIDS would affect dementia or Alzheimer's or things that come with mm. getting old. Sure. Also, are they growing hydroponics on Mars? But because where does he get his weed? <laughs> you know, I sort of I assumed that Wayne was his supplier and just sending up like regular installments. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure they do have hydroponics on Mars, and maybe he's got a little plant off in a corner. Sure, why not? <laughs> Who's gonna tell him no? That's it, eh? You know what? There's no there is no law saying you can't have weed on the moon or on Mars. Well, that we know of. Maybe there is. I'm sure Ed made sure there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he can do anything. Yeah, just make a call to Ellen. <laughs> yeah, Ellen, it seems like she's not going to be in the show anymore. That's too bad. She got her happily ever after, and I am so happy for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly I'm, the I'm one that I was hoping for. Cameo. Yeah. Yeah, I do want a cameo. All right, we'll move on to Margot. Uh, it always bugs me uh, when I listen to official podcasts. How all the guests are always blowing smoke up each other's butts and just saying like, oh, such and such actor was so great. But I'm going to be that guy now because I'm so impressed by Ren Schmidt's performance. I don't speak Russian, so, you know, I can't tell if actors are speaking Russian correctly or whatever. But I love that Ren managed to speak Russian with a discernible, thick southern yeah. accent yeah. that oh, yeah. perfectly conveys how much of a fish out of water she is and her new cold bleak life like honestly i think i would have chosen american prison over going to communist russia but Margot can always be counted on to make the wrong choice for the right reasons okay so here's another of my eagle-eyed watching um at the molly cobb space center we see a memorial to the bombing in the background and Margot's name is on that memorial so presumably everyone mm. thinks she's dead. People think she died in the bombing. Now, I don't know if that means that like the FBI or whatever are just letting that be known to the public and they actually know about where Margot is or if everyone genuinely believes she's dead. Who knows? But as far as the public is concerned, she died a hero. OK, so <laughs> here's my question. Why did the Russians even bother extracting her from the States if they're not even going to use her skill set? Tom? They're not using her skill set now, 10 years after she was extracted. They point out that all her knowledge is obsolete because you know everything has advanced so much since then. doesn't mean that they weren't using it at the time. And now they're just kind of stuck with her. So you think that they were that, you know, when she first came over there, they had her at Roscosmos and just like gradually they sort of pushed her out? Yeah, rather than um, allowing her to continue working there. Because like, if her skill set was relevant then, it would remain relevant because she'd be learning the same things the Russians are learning. But she was relevant to them because she could provide um, insight into, into the U.S. technology, which was a bit advanced from the Soviets. But then the U.S. stuff advanced 
I mean, they had that plasma drive that they mentioned in the montage that, you know, was like a game changer. They could, the Mars window, they didn't need that anymore. They reduced the trip down to like two months. Uh, she's not in the fold. She's not in the industry to be able to keep up with that and those advances. So they don't, she doesn't provide them an edge anymore. As I mean, they probably have people embedded in whoever developed that plasma drive. So she's probably just not a relevant asset anymore, but was for those you know first several years. Well, remember, they don't need to embed anyone anymore. They're all they're all partners up on Mars, so they well, have full access to all of this stuff. Do they also, though? <laughs> well, but but also there's no reason not to have her. You know, basically they can, she, you know, they gave her a choice. Like, you know, you can come with us or you can, you know, take your chances with the feds. And yeah, they promised that whatever, but I mean, the, I, and I suspect like they probably did take advantage of the situation initially, but as as my mom used to say, uh, it's, it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. So she's always in their back pocket. Like there's no reason for her to like. If she sits on a bench for you know five years and then they call her up, they've got her there. Why 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 waste a resource? I think well, another... like I said last time, nobody trusts a trader. So why are they gonna give her mm. access to any more than they absolutely have to? That actually I think could uh, tie in with another reason that I assumed that they're holding on to her is not so they can uh, gain an advantage from from what she knows or what she knew, but just to take her off of the board for the Americans. I think it, it was less we want her to help us. I think it might've been just as much. We want to make sure that she can't help the U.S. We want to take away this valuable piece of NASA from them. That's a good point. Yeah, and you just saying that actually made me, what, what was the name of her not boyfriend, her Russian? Sergey. Sergey. What if, so they lost Sergey because he got away. What if she's the new Sergey? And in that they are holding her, you know, just in reserve in case they need to manipulate somebody on the American side emotionally. Mm -hmm. Which maybe is what the mystery woman is about, right? Like any speculation about what her deal is and what she's going to be asking of Margot? Shrug. Yeah, that that's (laughs) too much. That's too much of a wide open field on that question. I, me, Mister Speculation, I I got nothing. Is she an agent of? You know, Ross Cosmos, who is just there to do more work to keep her in line, or is she an operative from some other entity that is going to, at some point this season, offer her an out? Well, she's from Helios, <laughs> trying to trying to like get her, you know, an escape package. Maybe someone from Dev's new company. Ooh. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on to Aleda. Uh, she's still in a fairly low-level position at NASA, rather than being, you know, in charge of mission control. Uh, it's interesting to note that she's gotten back together with her husband, and they have a second child. Do you think that instead of rising the ranks at NASA, her PTSD has forced her to take more of a backseat? Or do you think it's possible that the bigwigs got wind that she knew about Margot's betrayal and refused to cooperate with the FBI, and that's why she's not being promoted? Rick? Oh, I was afraid you'd come to me with that one. <laughs> <laughs> I it, it could be some from column A and some from column B. It could be that she, well, we don't know if this is her, this probably isn't her first attack, panic attack. Although, you know, the circumstances were certainly stressful enough. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. It's, it's very interesting that they are pursuing this storyline with Aleda. 
I don't know how they're gonna how it's gonna resolve. Because again, she's she's very much like Ed and and well, not so much Danielle, but but the old guard of you know something's wrong with me, and I'm never gonna tell anyone about it. So yeah, it may very well be that that she has hobbled herself because she gets into gets into stressful situations and and has a has an episode. Yeah, that's a good point. That maybe no one even knows she has PTSD. I don't think if the feds knew she had anything to do with the Margot situation, she'd still be there. Yeah, fair enough. And I don't, I don't think that she necessarily like refused to help because she basically got out, gathered, you know, the evidence against Margot before she realized she was gathering the evidence against Margot. I don't think it's anything like that. I do think it's PTSD, and also she's still Alita. So like you guys were like hating her season, like last season. I never hated her, like, but she's not cuddly at all. Like, let's call it socially deficient as Margot is. She's still probably better than Aleda at dealing with other people. Like, Margot wasn't like, you know, she's not going to go out for drinks with, with the crew later, but she could, she was friendly. She knew how to build relationship and get disparate people working together. Aleda's not that. Aleda's <laughs> kind of caustic. I was a little surprised when she was where she was. But, you know, again, just take, thinking about it, like, no, of course, she's not going to, she can't rise in the ranks. She's her. She's still kind of a Yeah, jerk. the she's only not... reason she was doing well at NASA is because Margot was promoting her, because Margot was her mentor. And now with Margot gone, you know, who's going to go to bat for Aleda? Someone who is so aggressive and, like you said, so caustic. Yeah. So, like, of, of course she can't rise in the ranks. Yeah, uh, but also the PTSD. I think it's, I think it's both. Did Aleda actually it appear that she was almost demoted? Because I thought I remembered her as maybe a flight director for one of the previous missions in season three. Yeah, you're she, right. It was just before the bombing. Yeah, the 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 woman who like Eli came in and gave his speech, and then he kind of turned it over to I don't remember the woman's name. That was Aleda last season, the woman who was kind of running the room, I believe. Yeah. So she has been demoted. Yeah. My suspicion would be that after the bombing, she opted for a lower level position because she didn't want to, after the bombing with the disappearance of Margo, who she probably also, like everyone else, believes that Margo is dead, probably chose rather than to stay in that position of responsibility, wanted to take something a little more low profile, less stressful. And as we've said, probably connected with her PTSD. I don't want a responsibility position I want a console where I can quietly do my work and other people can make decisions. Yep. And, you know, given that she is less focused on work now, less of a workaholic, I mean, that's probably what has allowed her to refocus on her family and save her marriage and have another child. So I'm going to draw a bit of a parallel to my controversial take from last season where I was like, you know, losing Shane maybe helped Karen progress as a person and, and maybe all this PTSD is, is helping Aleda become a, a better mother than wife. They're unique. They're you. <laughs> but from what we've seen, there's not really a, a, any evidence that she is much of a, a wife or a mother because, you know, she's just sitting at the table staring at her phone while her husband does everything. So, well, I don't, I don't know that that the morning that we saw was a typical morning. She was already like having her episodes of that. Yeah. Morning. She was in her. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's seemed, he yeah. seems surprised by her behavior. He kissed her on the cheek. So I'm like, no one, yeah. So it's entirely possible that she is caring through life <laughs> and, <laughs> and doing better in the in the wake of tragedy. There was a moment where I would find this to be very unlikely, 
but it almost seemed to me the way the scenes were played that Aleda might not have had the type of PTSD episode that we saw in this episode before because I, the way she was reacting to it, the way she had to get up and leave, didn't talk to anyone. And then the next day can't even answer the phone for NASA, much less actually go into work. It seemed to me like she was surprised by what was happening and didn't, didn't get it. A reaction of someone who doesn't realize that they have PTSD until this happens. And with the number of years that have gone by, that's what makes it seem unlikely to me. But if she's been dealing with PTSD ever since the bombing, one would think that she would have had an episode, had an anxiety attack, and left work, left her post without uh, getting clearance, and then just stopped showing up to work years ago. But it's only happening now, so I, I don't know how that works. Okay, but also, again, this is Alita. Her getting up and leaving and you know checking out for a day or two, and then coming back, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm just going to do some things. Not super out of character. I totally see it. And uh, what year is this also? What year is this? Like 2003. 2003. I would say that, you know, we're looking, we're looking back at it from 2023, but 2003, you know, it was still kind of a stigma about going to get therapy. You know, there's still kind of a stigma and especially for her, she's like the proudest person, her and Ed, like the proudest people on the show. <laughs> They're not going to ask for help. Even if she recognized it as PTSD. Okay. Well, I'm just being weak. I need to get over it. You know, what I could see is after the bombing, she may have been not necessarily forced, but had some counseling, uh, you know, maybe had like one or two sessions with a counselor and went, all right, I'm all better now and has yep. been faking her way through it. And this finally knocked the stool out from under her. Aleda's going to Aleda. Yep. Uh, all right. So we've also got to talk about the new characters. I don't have much to say about Eli, but Miles is clearly being set up to take on a huge role. Most evident in him getting second billing in the credits above Chris Marshall, who plays Danielle, which is not cool. But anyway, <laughs> I kind which means of he's called... got a good agent. Yeah, indeed. I, but I was surprised to see that. I'm like, really? Some new guy is uh, being billed above our old faves? All right. I kind of call bullshit on the Helios HR people not doing a background check on him and discovering that he lied about having a college degree. But maybe that's meant to show how space work has become increasingly bureaucratic and credentials are less significant now. In the past on this pod, we've discussed whether or not we'd want to go to space ourselves. We all agreed we'd never get that opportunity because we don't have the skill sets of present day astronauts. But Moonshow is now presenting a world where regular people are working in space. Along with Miles, uh, another new character is Samantha Massey. So she was the space worker woman who did not volunteer to be a red shirt and die alongside <laughs> other men and coos. <laughs> so she's just doing her job. She's just working for that paycheck. And for Miles, it's also just about the money. So clearly that'll be a big theme this season. Space is just a job and it's no longer about exploration. It's now about financial gain and exploiting resources. So are those two things necessarily at odds? Can space work be like the Ferengi practice of Umox for fun and profit? <laughs> or does it have to be one or the other? Tom, I see you furrowing your brow. That's uh, just at the Umox mention, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that was an escalated quickly sort of comparison. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll expound on that in a second. But yeah, does it have to be one or the other? Is space, does it have to be like, can it be both exploration and 
profitable or do you really have to choose? I think it could be both, but I could see where the two of them would be at odds with each other. And for that, going back to uh, the previous season when they were trying to drill for ice uh, or on Mars and Kelly was saying, no, wait, we've got to get these core samples. We got to check them out. We have to do the research. And she wanted to look at it from the scientific perspective. But Ed and a lot of the others involved uh, were really pushing to, no, we have to get this ice. We have to go and, you know, set up for the the mining and the business. So I suppose I just kind of contradicted my own point there and say it might not be able to work together. But I think without Ed in there pushing things along, it might work better. You know, Blame Ed. Hmm. Well, it's easy to do. I think it's going to have to become both. Uh, right now, in our you know where we are current day, you need highly trained specialists to deal with the equipment that we're using in space. But if you're going to set up a a base like on the moon or on Mars, you're going to need people who have the skill set to do the mechanical work, to do the the building and the and the the excavating and the surveying and all of that stuff who aren't necessarily astronauts who don't need all of that extra training they just need a shuttle to get them there you know it, it's like when that asteroid was coming and they brought those those uh oil drill people up to the asteroid to save the earth you know they weren't astronauts yeah that worked out <laughs> <laughs> worked out great for everyone no one got hurt they saved the world they saved the world (laughs) and we were there for it 100 because we didn't want to miss a thing thing. (laughs) (laughs) that was a long walk cyber high five my my concern about what's his name miles miles yep is kind of what i was talking about in our our wrap-up episode he's the kind of character that and again i know that moon show frequently surprises me with taking things I don't want to see and making them work for me. He's the kind of character that I really couldn't care less about, you know, and why I'm not, I'm not giving up on him, but it's like, Oh, here, here, now we're getting into the, you know, almost the, the, the soap opera kind of level of storytelling. Not that this hasn't been already, but fucking regular people. Well, yeah, (laughs) I live with regular people. I don't want to watch them on my TV too. You know, I I understand where you're coming from, Rick, because like I've been very vocal about how like I don't watch shows, you know, set in hospitals, for instance. You know, I've worked in hospitals. I, I don't want to watch that on TV. I'm in that camp with you, Rick, where I don't really want to see the regular peeps doing stuff. But I trust that Moon Show knows what it's doing. And maybe they'll be able to bring a new spin that'll be a bit more interesting to, than just like the age old story of class divide of, you know, the elites versus the blue collar. I, I still want to go back to the, you know, exploration versus exploitation. My my comparison to the Ferengi is not accidental because the implication is that as soon as something becomes about money, it's tainted. Um, you know, Umox is just sex work. And so is turning your passion into a job inherently a soul-selling endeavor? Scott. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that was a leapfrog. I was gonna talk about the exploration <laughs> thing, but like, yeah, Scott, you a corporate whore yet? <laughs> <sighs> if if wishing made it so, 
Um, so turning your passion into a, are we essentially talking about turning your passion into a, into a vocation, into a career? Yeah. Does that compromise it necessarily? Yes. Okay. Um, personally, I don't think it has to, it certainly can. And, but I think that that depends, it's dependent on the user. It's up to the individual. If, if they have something that they're passionate about and they do it because they love it and they're given an opportunity to do what they love and make money for it, that there are, there are myriad different ways that that can go. If, uh, who the, the person that is, uh, signing the checks, if they require the, I'm, I'm just going to say artist because obviously passion, I'm an artist. We're going to go with that. If the artist doesn't agree with what the, employer wants they can choose to do it or not do it they can quit or they can keep on doing the work even though they don't agree with what their work is being used for i i lost track of my other examples and this will just end in a a completely mindless ramble unless i pull it back and say eh, it doesn't have to necessarily be selling one soul i feel like i'm selling my soul more working the factory job that i have right now than i have ever felt doing any paid artwork that I've ever been commissioned for. Okay. That's interesting. John, you're a corporate whore. What do you think? I suppose I am. <laughs> well, okay. So. <laughs> I mean, your words, you're the one who called it a corporate whore. <laughs> I'm talking about Scott. Um, okay. So exploration versus what, what was the other one? Basically exploitation. exploitation. I feel like they've kind of always gone hand in hand, you know, that's kind of, that was, Europe's whole thing, you know, as they went around colonizing. Uh, the difference is there's no indigenous people on the moon that we know of <laughs> or Mars. Uh, so it's 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 a little tidier in that sense. But I feel like it, there's always been, um, hey, I can go to this place and I can get stuff before someone else can get it and use it before someone else. I, I feel like that's always been kind of the nature of the beast. As far as does, I mean, personally, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Scott. It, it's, you know, it's, you just, you set your boundaries, you know, as a creative person, uh, as far as what you're okay doing and what you're okay not, what you're not okay doing, what you're okay selling and what you're not okay selling. Like my job, um, basically I'm a graphic designer, like specifically for data visualization. I do, you know, charts and maps and graphs and reports. I would not call it particularly artistic or soul fulfilling, but I do enjoy my job. It is an aspect of me being an artist, but the stuff that I consider my art, if I'm, you know, drawing something or writing something or doing Captain Game Show, which I actually do consider kind of narcissistic expression, that's different. And I, and I actually do kind of like, that is part of the, like, I don't have sponsors on that show because I don't want anybody else telling me what I can do. <laughs> so, so it is, it is, it is a conscious choice. Like I, you know, not that anyone's offering me any commission <laughs> for my artistic work, but you know, it's 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 up to every person's line. I'm typically not going to judge someone else for selling out. You know, you do you, you make that money. You know, good for you. I just haven't sold out yet. Proper circumstances, happy to. Same. One thing I think that the any other sh well, not any other show, but Moon Show has uh, has been very. I don't know if careful is the right word. I don't see them finding life on Mars. 
that just doesn't seem like a direction this show would go. So with Mars as just a, you know, a lifeless sandy rock, I don't see them holding back on the exploitation side of it at all. And that would be, you know, probably how we will go about doing it if we ever find a way to make it economically feasible to get up there. There will be token scientific explorations and then corporations will move in and start, you know, building mining colonies and amusement parks and and hotels on the moon. In orbit. And yeah. Yeah. Which is which was part of the the montage from the, the beginning of this episode. Mm. There's now a open to the public moon hotel. So the moon has become a tourist destination. And re- regarding this show and the exploration ver- versus exploitation, the question of do they have to be exclusive or can they work together? I think they can both happen when they try to occupy the same space at the same time. That's when we have problems, as Tom already mentioned, with the um, examine the water versus get to it. But if it's done properly, and I wish that this could also happen in the real world, not just on the show, they can one half of the space industry can explore and then the other half can can construct and they can try to make the money and they can feed into each other. You get to Mars and you mine the resources and you build things that can be used to explore further. You explore further, you find a new place which you can then start finding materials which will allow you to go even further. In theory, they can help to serve each other and and further the both of them. Plus all the cool stuff that you can get on Earth with with uh, new materials and whatnot, which still we're not seeing a whole lot of evidence in Moonshow of the broader impact that all this space exploration is having on Earth. We see, of course, the electric cars and like the death of the fossil fuel industry, but the day-to-day stuff, we they're still being careful about what they're showing us. They're it's not just a slew of things. I, I do like um, that they're not that they are showing the quote unquote real world impact in terms of uh, moving from fossil fuels to more electric, because that's exactly what would happen. Like, you know, oil rig guys would be put out of work because it's just not, you know, the industry changes. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he deserves, you know, top billing over uh, commander Danny in the credits, but I, I do like that. He's, um, a major character and, and not just, you know, a, a blurb on the news that this is happening. Like we get to see this person who, you know, by no fault of his own, just the evolution of society is kind of getting left behind and, and, you know, kind of making his uh, gold rush attempt to not be left behind. Side note, uh, in the scene where he's going for the job, uh, I've, like they focused on the human resources sign, like a little bit longer like they didn't need to show a sign at all. I mean, they just need to go showing going to a door. But I was like, ah, oh, human resources, because that's basically what these people are. They're just like they're fodder, you know, they're they're another tool to get sent up to to do the job. So nice touch, Moonshow. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I and I don't care that he lied on his application. I, I've been told I've been told by several employee employers that they did not check my references, they didn't check my college. I mean, I didn't lie on him, but like that, like I was like, "Did you even check that?" Because I, I, took, I had to like check that. I was like, "Yeah, no, we don't. That's fine. We pretty much, we're pretty sure we wanted you for the job. You could do the job. I don't, I don't feel like that's unusual in any way. I feel like it kind of sucks that he had to, but 
that's absolutely realistic. Mm-hmm. I don't I, think he did have to. I think that yeah. was a choice he made because he felt inadequate. I don't. I, I think he would have gotten the job regardless. Oh, you mean he could have just said no college experience? Yeah, he could have just told yeah, the truth. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, his his experience. I mean, they referenced that a few times when he came recommended by someone else working there. I don't think it was necessary for him to to lie on the application. I mean, you could see there was the intimidation of all the uh, different people in there going for the same jobs. I got the impression that he was supposed to think he already had it in the bag, you know, and it was like an interview was a formality. And then I think, though, with lying on the application, it's setting it up that he's going to be like the next even, you know, kind of the screw up or something's going to happen and the lies are going to compound and so on. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that, Tom. I think it was, I think that scene was meant to show that, you know, this guy's a fuck up, you know, the same way, you know, his wife, uh, you know, implied the reason she's leaving him is because, you know, he has a, a history of getting involved with dumb ventures. You know, she she brought up the Amway thing. So this yeah. is a guy who's constantly trying to be big man on campus and is very much a small fish and not cool with that. I don't think he's going to be like the next Danny the lesser and and be you know a criminal fuck up but yeah I I don't think he's the the sharpest tool or really got his shit together all that well they also established that he's he won't accept responsibility for his fuck ups yeah first off what what was that thing he said about the Amway stuff well there was a downturn in the personal grooming industry or something oh right right yeah (laughs) the human resources scene though also had one tiny detail that's not plot relevant it's just one of my biggest personal pet peeves and it it was written and performed perfectly to really just bring my shoulders up because i hated it he gets up to the desk and he says to the woman i I have an interview with and before he can even finish the sentence she's saying fill this out and bring it back up it's her job to greet people when they come in and you know help them give what they need and he can't even get a sentence out and she's steamrolling him in the real world. It drives me absolutely crazy. Has that happened um, to you in the real world where you, you start to say something and they're just like, Oh yeah, do this thing. Oh, it, it constantly. Yeah. Okay. Really? Eh? Here's the test. Well, okay. Nick, I don't know about you. Maybe for, for us Americans. Yeah. Pay attention. The next time, them. the next time you have to call any sort of customer service. And see how many of your questions you can actually get to the end of before they start answering. That that happens to me less. Typically, like customer service I'm on the phone with are, are usually pretty accommodating. But receptionists who, especially if they're got a room full of people that they're trying to get to, they're like, it, it doesn't, you know. It didn't it didn't seem like she was, you know, the typical like on TV receptionist who was unnecessarily rude. Mm-hmm. I didn't get, I, you know, she wasn't like a jerk about it. She was, she was just like, I, I have an interview with, gave her the information. Okay. You're here for the job. Fill this out. And yeah, she should, maybe should have waited for the end of the sentence, but I have an interview with, there's only one guy in there. She knows who the interviews with. I'm not necessarily trying to defend her, but also I get it. Cause like, I mean, that room was full of people and she's got to get through the, all of them. The, the room was full of people. Was there anyone in line behind him? No. I mean, whatever. No. The scene was just meant <laughs> yeah. to convey. It was telling a story, that scene. It was just about like, yeah, she's over it. She's just doing her job. He's just another number, whatever. She doesn't care what his life story is. And neither do I. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep an open mind for now. Maybe his story will become super compelling. Y'all are so mean. 
<laughs> I, I, I strongly, Have you met me? <laughs> I strongly suspect that his his character the is being introduced. In the world. <laughs> I really think that his character is being introduced to be the perspective character for one of the larger season long plot elements. Probably when when they decide to make a bigger story about you know, civilians doing work off planet and the pitfalls of that. He's the one that they're going to use to to show us all that. And it'll, oh, it'll probably be in exploration versus um, commercialization or exploitation story. And they'll use him for it. You know, you you jokingly referenced that uh, fantastic movie of the 90s, but I, I, just, I fully expect that to come into play. Like there'll be, you know, like maybe one official minor will be set with each team and there's going to be a situation where his expertise is going to be like save the day basically because everyone else will no one will have his skill set and he's becoming he's going to become integral to fixing some problem they're going to have because he's the one that will not close his eyes nor fall asleep all right all right that's enough <laughs> <laughs> okay do we have anything else we'd like to discuss about this episode um oh and as good as this show is i have always hated the introduction i hate the song i hate the visuals i hate the intro Really? Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, you I can't like skip the them on the on the new season. The first one of the new season, you can't don't get the little skip button. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's like I keep hoping they'll change it. Maybe they change it a little, but not enough. It's uh, no, I find it boring. I found the song is not memorable. It's it's, it's like the music that you play from YouTube when you go want to go to sleep. <laughs> I've never found myself humming the theme song to this show. I couldn't even tell you what it is. Like doom doom doom. That's all I know. <laughs> okay, but how would Groot sing it? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's no words. He wouldn't sing it. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I would love some words. Now, if you want to do the Enterprise, it's been a long road, then we can talk. But... <laughs> okay, so we will wrap things up. Uh, Tom, have you got anything you'd like to promote? No, just you can find me now here on Moon Show and Occasionally on that Star Trek podcast and Cosmic Potato, et cetera, et cetera. And Rick, what about you? Uh, you can find me on uh, a lot of the other shows here on the network uh, uh, from time to time. Uh, pretty much all of them, I think. And John, what would you like to promote? Uh, I have a podcast, Captain Game Show. It is a trivia wordplay podcast on the network. You can also find me uh, not running things, but running my mouth on various other shows on the network. Thank you, Nick, for having me here. <laughs> Scott? Panelist on this podcast, occasionally on Captain Game Show, Cosmic Potato, the host of that Star Trek podcast, all here on the Infinite Potato Alliance podcast network. And in addition to podcasting, you can visit my very own website, www.planetrisecreative.com and see the graphic artwork that I do for fun and profit. That's right. You are willing to sell your soul if someone wants to buy. Hell yeah, I will. <laughs> I'm not using it anyway. There you go. As for me, I'm also a regular panelist on that Star Trek podcast and occasionally on Captain Game Show. And you can find my weekly recaps of Star Trek episodes at superanemic.com. And with that, we say bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. Bye, Bob. What did Poppy say? Sweetie, Grandpa, he, he can't come back yet. He's got to stay on Mars a little while longer, but he promised he would come back very soon, okay? Promise. Promise.
Первый he's not coming back. Olga, please, not in front of Alex. I'm done holding my tongue about that man. He's a selfish man. Thank you for listening to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast on the Infinite Potato Alliance. For more great shows, please go to infinitepotato.com. Our theme music is Small Victory by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. You can find more of his music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash Steve underscore Combs. And Scott, what would you the like to say? nicest Canadian in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Good one.